Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A glorious Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are our portion, that we see in your word the glorious promises. Lord, we pray tonight for your favor with all of our heart that you would be gracious to us, according not to our deeds, but only according to your promises. When we think about our ways, Lord, our ways turn from your ways. We set our feet upon the path we want to walk. We pray that you would guide our path this very, morning, this very evening. Help us to be able to keep your commandments, to see of your glorious promises, to trust in you, even in difficult times, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 49, verses 13 to 28. Hear now God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his brother border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. Await for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful burr, a fruitful burr by the spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of our, your father, who will help you. By the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. Blessings of the deep that crouches beneath. Blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. That is what their father said to them as he blessed them blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. As we continue through this section of blessing where uh, Jacob now blesses his sons, last time we finished with that blessing of Judah where Jacob now blesses his sons. He begins with Ephraim and Manasseh. 
He puts Ephraim before Manasseh. And the author of Hebrews looks back at this moment in Jacob's life, and he says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. That here you see this blessing has passed through Ephraim and Manasseh, these Egyptian-born sons as the inheritance of the promise. Comfort for the children of promise born in Egypt. The next time we saw that the first of the sons of Jacob through Leah, his first wives, that Reuben got somewhat of a blessing, but he lost his preeminent place for his desire to claim the inheritance that no judge, prophet, prince, or ruler descends from Reuben. Simon and Simeon together because of their revenge of the people of Shechem for Diner's Raper. Simeon would be one of the smallest tribes. Levi, once covered with the blood to be able to seek and avenge his sister, would be forever covered with blood of his brothers for their sins, making sacrifices and atonement for their sins and his sins. Judah, like a sinner, like all the others, yet through Judah, there would come a ruler of Israel, the lion from the tribe of Judah. In verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and he shall be the obedience of the people. Now before we look at the next eight brothers and the blessings in which it's given to those eight brothers, we need to be reminded how, and these blessings work. We're told in verse 1 of chapter 49 that as Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. That Jacob by faith is, is prophesying over the tribes of Israel. And last time when we looked at this, we saw five different ways this was a way of these promises of things to come. The first one was the promise of Christ. We've seen that throughout Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That these blessings come to a fulfillment, an ultimate conclusion found in Jesus Christ. We saw this clearly as we looked last time at Judah. That the promise starts and the seed starts to grow. But now the promise is shifting not just from a person, from Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, now to all of Israel, through the nation of Israel. So the promise of Christ. The second is the promise or the fulfillment of land. Speaking of physical land allotment. One aspect we see is that through even this passage, that Jacob, although he is in Egypt, although he is dying, he still speaks of land and where the twelve tribes of Israel will live. That this is something that is fulfilled long after Jacob passes away, long after even these sons pass away. We find this in Joshua when the land is divided. These, these, these promises, these prophecies are fulfilled at that point. The third thing is we see the promise and fulfillment of the blessings and curses. You might call those curses not necessarily curses, but negative promises. Promises that will come to be, 
that have a negative turn to them. You know, the blessing of Reuben is not really a blessing. It's a promise that it's going to come and this is what's going to happen, but it's not necessarily a positive promise. The Reuben is not going to be preeminent. That no leaders are going to come from his tribe. The fourth is the promised fulfillment of the story of Israel. Jacob says in the days to come, what you see in this passage is that Jacob speaks as a prophet, speaks forth the events that will take place throughout all the history of Israel, not just in the next couple of weeks after these blessings are finished. And the fifth one is the personality of the son is found in the persona of the tribe. I think we'll see this clearly tonight, most likely in Dan. But here are the ways that we see that these, these are prophecy. So let us begin. Now the order of these are not in birth order, although Reuben is the firstborn. But they're paired with the wives. First he speaks to the sons of of Leah, and then Billah. So Zebulun is actually the tenth son, but he's the sixth son of Leah, so the last born son of Leah, but he's put fifth in the blessing. He comes before Issachar. Issachar is the ninth son, but the fifth born to Leah, and there's this reversal here. Now Moses shows us why this is the case, that Zebulun becomes bigger than Issachar. That the fulfillment we found in one of those promised fulfillment in the fourth one, that this fulfillment in the story of Israel. That here in the days to come, uh, Zebulun will become more uh, preeminent than Issachar. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, and of Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out in Issachar in your tents. That here, even Zebulun gets the blessing and Issachar is to dwell in the tents of Zebulun. So let's look at Zebulun. The promise here is that they would dwell on the seashore. And we see this in that promise of that land fulfillment. We must understand the faith of, of Jacob at this point and even in Moses in writing and recording this. Now, Jacob is dying. His sons are in a foreign land. They don't own the land in which they dwell. But yet he knows that they will own the promised land and dwell in the promised land one day. And he says, when you do, Zebulun shall dwell at the seashore. Jacob, by faith, is able to look forward to that city whose builder and foundation is God. But in a more subtle way, as you see that this passage is then connected to the story of Israel, which is all interconnected, which leads up to Christ, there's a subtle way in which this passage and Zebulun in specific, specifically connects to Christ. Actually, it's Zebulun and Naphtali. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Isaiah writes this, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time 
he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of all the nations. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness has on them the light shone. So land which is spoken about here in Genesis chapter 49 is to be on the border of Sidon. And both Naphtali and Zebulun are here, and they will be on the side of cursing when they are separated in Deuteronomy chapter 27. But Matthew makes the connection in Matthew chapter 4. He goes back to Isaiah chapter 9, and he connects it with Christ. Matthew writes this in Matthew chapter 4. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came, went and lived at Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled in the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, in the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee to the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them the light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So you see a subtle connection here, that here Jacob is mentioning that Zebulun will live by the sea. This then shapes where the land is placed, and then Isaiah then referencing this land by the sea. Jesus goes and lives by this land by the sea, fulfilling that promise in Isaiah that those dwelling in darkness have seen the great light. And the point here is that you see these, these, these promises of land fulfillment of, of, of Jacob are done by faith that they might lead even to Christ and where he dwells and lives. You can trace these, these small little uh, things through the Old Testament, and each little thread paints this glorious picture of God's promises throughout all the Scripture. You see here this land given, spoken of in, by Jacob on his deathbed, is spoken again of Isaiah, and then finally fulfilled by Christ. More could be said, but I wanted to point out that often God's promises throughout the Scripture are found as little buds, little threads that paint the tapestry, that grow into a branch that presents its fruit in Christ. Now one notable person, who comes from the tribe of Zebulun, is Elon, the judge in Judges chapter 12. But that's just a notable person of reference. Next is Issachar, the final son of Leah. Issachar is spoken of as a strong donkey, and many people have then tried to connect the mention of a donkey then with Jesus riding on a donkey as he enters the city of Jerusalem. However, I think this is a loose connection that cannot be made scripturally rather than just a jump from the two words. I think the terminology here of donkey for Issachar speaks of that strong and hard-working person. Speaking of that personality, but then also of that land allotment. The Issachar would be a strong tribe agriculturally. Now, interestingly, as, as you see this fulfillment in, in times to come, that 
that Issachar is not a very strong tribe, but he is, he is a tribe that goes on to the mountain of blessing. Gerizim, in that Deuteronomy chapter 27. Issachar will not have many people come from their tribe, but they will be a tribe that often shows loyalty to the people of God. In Judges, of, Judges chapter 5, that it's the princes of Issachar who come with Jacob. And Issachar was faithful to Barak. Into the valley he rushes, rushed at his heels. However, Issachar will have some negative moments and aspects in their tribe. Issachar is where King Ahab sets up. Probably the worst king with Queen Jezebel. They set up their capital in Jezreel in the tribe of Issachar. Also, one king would wipe out the son of Jeroboam, would then soon come and sit on the throne. Bashah, the son of Abijah, and the house of Issachar conquered against him. We find this story in 1 Kings chapter 15. But the next son that we see is Dan. Dan is the firstborn of Billah, the concubine of Rachel. And Rachel, when Dan was born, Rachel said that God has judged me. He has heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Now Jacob has a play on his name as well. Dan shall be judge, shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. The Dan is, is similar to the root word which is found of to judge. But from Dan you will find that it is a tribe that stems trouble. Dan is one of the tribes that fails to wipe out the Canaanites. It's in Judges chapter 18. Dan is the tribe that sought its own inheritance. They become known for their false worship, their worship of idols. This would be the center of worship in the northern kingdom or one of two spaces. Interestingly, Dan is not mentioned as a tribe out of the 12 tribes in Revelation in chapter 7. In all of this, Jacob offers some form of prayer. He mentions that Dan will cause trouble, that there will be a serpent on the way, a viper in the path who bites at the horse's heels. But Jacob pauses after this blessing giving to Dan, and he turns not his attention to Dan, but he turns his attention to the Lord, and he cries out, I wait, I hope for your salvation, O Lord. That here, even Jacob, at some aspect, is able to understand the turmoil which will come from the tribe of Dan. Samson will come from the tribe of Dan. And he's not known as one of the great judges or deliverers in the sense that he is not a morally upright person. He's used by God, but used by God for his purposes. But even after Samson comes and saves, right after this, this is when Dan sets up all of its false idols and a false priesthood. Next, we're given three, and these three are quite short in comparison to the others. They're just one, verses, one verse each. 
Gad will be like raiders, bandits. They will live on the other side of the Jordan with Reuben and half of the tribe of Manasseh. But here it says that they will raid the raiders. Gad will actually, as although a small tribe, will actually become a powerful military force that all those on that other side, the east side of the Jordan, will need to be one of the first to go into battle, to fight the enemies. We find out in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 that the Gadites were officers of the army. At least there was a match of a hundred men for the greatest a thousand. So even just one single Gadite would be able to defeat a hundred men. The greatest of the Gadites would be able to defeat a thousand. From Gad to Asher. Asher's food will be rich. He would yield royal delicacies. Asher will receive a great blessing. They will have rich foods, king's delights. They will fail, though, to be able to drive out the inhabitants of the land. In the beginning of Judges, the author points out that Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko, or the inhabitants of Sidon, or Alab, or Ziklab, or Halba, or Aleph, or Reb. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of land, and they did not drive them out. In Judges chapter 15, Gilead strayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan said, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still on, at the coast of the sea, staying by his landing. Asher is a, is, a, is a tribe that is tremendously blessed, but in all of this tremendous blessing, they did not help others around them. They did go up with Gideon in chapter 5. Now, interestingly, just a, a way to point out, then in Luke chapter 2, there's a lady from the tribe of Asher, a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She is the one who was advanced in years, lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. The next tribe is Naphtali. And we mentioned before him in Isaiah chapter 9, the fulfillment now in Matthew chapter 4, where Christ would live and move to Capernaum. And just like um, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of the land, so too did Naphtali not drive out the inhabitants of the land. Beth Shemesh, Beth they lived among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land. Now, Barak, the judge, will be from Naphtali, but he is not known as a man of strong um, will, but he is known more for his cowardice. After three short blessings, we now turn to the longest blessing of Joseph. Now, if we were to guess who the blessing would fall from from Genesis chapter 37, we would assume that it would fall to Joseph. The blessing of Joseph actually falls to his two children, which gets the largest portion of the land between all the children of Israel in their promised land. Manasseh is one of the largest geographical regions when it comes to tribe division. 
Now you could divide this blessing into three major parts. The first speaks of prosperity, the second protection, and the third blessings. The first in this prosperity, fruitful. Seeing this in Joseph's life. We'll see this in the life of the tri- his tribes. They are fruitful. Not only in prosperity, but protection. That archers will attack him. But he will prevail. We're seeing this in the fulfillment of his life, that his brothers persecuted him. The attack from Potiphar's wife. But yet he has prevailed, held strong. And the final sense is the, the blessings in verses 25 to 26. By the Almighty who will bless you with blessing of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, blessings of your Father and the Almighty beyond the blessings of my parent, to the bounties of the everlasting hills. Now we can see why Jacob would choose to bless Joseph this way. Actually, one of the greatest challenges I've had as preaching through the book of Genesis is, why does it appear, does it appear that Moses made a mistake? As we see that the story goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and then who is the next son of blessing to come? And if we were to focus on, on how it looks, we'd say that most of the time is given to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and then to Joseph. You might think the next patriarch would be Joseph. You would think that Jacob would think that Joseph is the one who's going to see these tremendous blessings. That the ruler would come through Joseph, not Judah. But I think what you see here is is a divide that now it not just flows through one person, the the child of promise, but it flows to the nation of Israel underneath the header of Jacob's twelve sons. We actually see this in in Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7. That he refers to the twelve sons of Israel as the twelve patriarchs. He gives Abraham the covenant of circumcision. Abraham becomes the father of Isaac. Isaac is circumcised on the eighth day. Isaac becomes the father of Jacob. Jacob then becomes the father of twelve patriarchs. And he says in verse 9, The patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. The point is that it comes through Abraham, Isaac, and then Israel, or jo- and Jacob, But it flows then to the twelve sons. The twelve sons become the children of promise. The nation becomes the nation of promise rather than just a person of promise, a son of promise. That it doesn't just flow through one line and one line only. That we see the connection from Judah to David to Christ does not mean that only the promise flows from Judah to David to Christ. That there's other types and shadows in the Old Testament that are shown to us that fall underneath these twelve tribes of Israel. Joseph is blessed. You see that in his history, in his life. Joseph's two sons play a vital role in the life and history of Israel. And specifically in the northern kingdom. 
But through Joseph, you also see key leaders who then are shadows who point to Christ as well. Joshua, the son of Nun, comes from the tribe of Joseph. Gideon, the mighty judge, even Samuel in 1 Samuel, comes from the tribe of Joseph. But if we we think that we're only going to see one single thread of promise that can be traced throughout all of Scripture, we're going to be disappointed because it is a tapestry and many promises and blessings which all revealed ourselves in Christ Jesus the person. That these blessings come through Jesus Christ but flow through His people. Israel is the church under age, but now through the church today. And the key point is is the blessing doesn't come from Jacob to to, um, Joseph. Jacob even understands that the blessing comes from God. It says in verse 24, His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one. Or in verse 25, by the God of your father who will help you. Or by the Almighty who will bless you. All of these blessings come not from Jacob, but from, come from God. So we see the blessings fall upon whom God seeks to be able to bless. Whereas God tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy and show grace until I will be who I will be gracious towards. So we see this thread not just found in one, but in many and all of these sons. The last is Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, devouring the prey, and at the evening, dividing the spoil. Literally, you would read this, that Benjamin is a tearing wolf. Benjamin is a tribe will be located between Ephraim and Judah. And if you know anything about the, the, the history of the nation of Israel, it is between Ephraim and Judah where there is a lot of bloodshed and turmoil. And the tribe of Benjamin would probably be the tribe which sees the most blood spilled in their land. They will be known as a tribe of mighty warriors. Ehud, Saul, Jonathan all come from this tribe. Not only them, in First Chronicles chapter 8, the sons of Elam were men who were mighty warriors, bowmen having many sons and grandsons, 150. All of these were Benjaminites. In Second Chronicles chapter 14, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows, all of them were mighty men of valor. Or in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 17. Benjaminite, Elada, a mighty man of valor with 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. The truth of the matter is the Benjaminist tribe will be a tearing, ravenous wolf. This small tribe will cause a lot of division in the nation's history. It's the tribe of Benjamin who causes the tragic civil war in the last period of Judges. You could say that it's 
the tribe of Benjamin that starts and sparks the wars which happened between David and the house of Saul. <coughs> Excuse me. But not only in the Old Testament is this the case, Saul, the great persecutor of the church, will come from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, if we read all of these blessings found in these 12 sons, and we only come to the conclusion saying, be more like this person and less like this tribe, then what we will try and be trying to do is work out some form of formula or equation of grace, and we will not be able to work it out. We see the promise of God to continue to go through His people for His purpose. That He uses the same method and purpose today. That it's His promises for His purposes through His people. The people are not blessed because of the people's faithfulness or perfection. The people are blessed because of God and who He is. The the promise maker is faithful to His promise. He uses like a tribe like Joseph but even a tribe like Benjamin to be able to show forth this blessing. It's still true today that the church receives its blessing from the promise maker. Blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing and in the heavenly places. As soon as He chose us in Uh, in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And the story of Genesis is just that, the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. That through all of this we see God continue through His threads of promise to be able to fulfill His promises that are made. But we also see in verse 28, that we've seen the prospering of the seed, but now we see the prospering of the promise grow. And all of these, the twelve tribes of Israel, is what their father said to him as he blessed them. Twelve tribes. The Armenians had twelve tribes in Genesis chapter 22. The Ishmaelites had twelve tribes in Genesis chapter 25. The Esau had 12 tribes in Genesis 36. All of them have grown. But God's promise has has been steadily moving and been fulfilled. And now we see the 12 tribes of Israel. For His purposes, His plan. This is the first time in Scripture that the 12 tribes of Israel is known. Paul speaks in Acts chapter 26. He says this, They've known for a long time, if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion that I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial here, here on trial because of my hope in the promise made to God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day, And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? And here Paul points back to these twelve tribes and these twelve tribes seeking to obtain these promises. 
He's falsely accused. They misunderstood what that promise was. But that promise was found in Christ. The one who we see threads throughout all of these tribes through the nation of Israel. But the promise of God is fulfilled through Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise. Lord, even for a passage like this that is hard to be able to wrap our heads around, Lord, we see but threads of your promise. Threads which make up the bigger picture in the Old Testament which is fulfilled in Christ. We pray as we read your holy word that we would see your plan and purpose. Lord, to be able to use your people to be able to accomplish your perfect plan. We pray that we would see this promise in our lives today. That you would use us, imperfect people, to be able to carry out your plan as we point forward, uh, point to Christ, the one who died for our sins. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.